When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So, grab a cuppa and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another weekly episode of The Lowdown with Brave Mama. It is Steph Thompson, your host here. And do you remember back in the start of season two, I mentioned that, yes, we're going to be bringing back more experts and sitting down and chatting with them about our pelvic health. But we were also going to be inviting you, the listener, mums, parents, women, who have a lived experience with pelvic organ prolapse. And today I'm really proud to bring you a very good friend who we've met on Instagram. Her handle is Prolapse Parenthood and Prosecco. That's right, we're sitting down and chatting with Tor Palfrey from the UK. She's a mum of two. She loves hyperpressives. She talks very openly about her prolapses, her surgery and perimenopause. So by the end of today's episode, I hope that listening to Tor's story helps you feel less alone in your own prolapse journey. Just before we get into this chat with Tor, if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, you've probably worked out that some of us are more at risk of developing pelvic floor issues than others, and especially after giving birth. So the pelvic floor first is a dedicated website to raise awareness of this issue. It can refer people on to get help and support, and it also promotes pelvic floor safe exercises. If you'd like more information, you can head over to pelvicfloorfirst.org.au. This is an initiative of the Continents Foundation of Australia who are bringing you this episode today. So let's get into it. Tor, can I just say, I have been waiting to connect and talk with you for what feels like such a long time because I followed followed your journey on Instagram. And I'm going to start with this. Something you had said on Instagram once has stayed with me. It was so impactful. You were talking about something and I can't remember that detail, but you said with the most love in your heart and tears in your eyes, you said, all I did was have a baby. Yeah. And for that video. Yeah. So welcome to the show. I'm actually teary already. Oh my God. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's so impactful. And I want to start with that because I want to let people know that everything you're doing and the power of how you talk to women, it really connects. So what we talk about today, I know that people are going to get so much from, but let's just start with who is tall, the person, and I guess who were you before becoming a mum? Wow, I'm one of four sisters. That's probably the way that I see myself. I'm never alone. And I was a freelance events manager 
always used to love going out and having some fun, lots of friends, dancing, music, used to love running. I had a breakup and and had a lot of free time on my hands. So I started to run and I really enjoyed it and then did a bit of Pilates and really found that amazing. And I suppose I was just really finding my body and the strength that I kind of had in me. And I did a half marathon and the time was quite good. And I was like, oh, hang on, you know, I didn't ever want to take it further, but you kind of like okay I'm I'm quite a strong person I can yeah you know what what else is there I had some my my dad was diagnosed with cancer and I was about 30 and mum was also poorly at the same time so she was in hospital she had a subdural hematoma so she was in hospital for four months my dad was having chemotherapy life was quite stressful oh my and god I, yeah quite yeah. I think immensely <laughs> immensely stressful so I found running was really a great release for me just pounding and and just let my mind wander and I found that very therapeutic then I decided that I wanted a I I didn't want to be on my own anymore so I went online and I found my husband oh I love that Yeah, yeah that sounds like an unreal intense time especially during that period of your life where there's already a lot going on in like 20s 30s isn't it it's always like a busy you you keep finding careers and you're buying houses and you're kind of doing Mm -hmm. those big ticket items all at the same time yeah absolutely yeah and your journey to motherhood what was that like so because I'd met my husband I was 30 um he was seven years older so he we kind of felt that we didn't really want to waste any time so we sure got engaged, got married quite quickly. And I stopped taking my pill on our wedding day. And we had Jonah nine months later. Amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's such a beautiful story. (laughs) Yeah, uh, very, very lucky. uh, Very grateful. Pregnancy was wonderful. Obviously, I couldn't run as much kind of later on into the pregnancy, but was fairly healthy and had no problems. They did say that he might be small but then the scan showed he was fine so absolutely no problem great had the lovely antenatal classes and met lots of nice friends and it was all lovely and we were talking about what music to take into the birthing room and what photo frames and you know writing the birth plan and all of that lovely stuff yeah as you do as As you do do. I think that's such a common thing and who like seriously who wouldn't want that I know exactly you see it on the films and the tv and it's all lovely yeah yeah and obviously Mm -hmm. for you it didn't quite go to that birthing plan like many of us in our community would you like to talk a little bit more about that yeah my waters broke I was three days before the due date so fairly you know not early not late Mm -hmm. I had a little so my waters broke at kind of like seven in the morning and there was a little bit of pinkish color to them yeah sure so went to hospital as you're told to do they checked baby over they checked me over and it was all fine my waters had broken but everything was looked fine so sent me home have some rest and then see when the contractions start and come in later so I think it was about four or five o'clock in the evening then that the contractions or I think I just had a little bit more waters a bit more pinkish yeah something was happening yeah something was happening I don't actually think I had any contractions at that time it's a bit of a blur to be honest yeah Yeah. but (laughs) so we went into hospital I think it was about seven in the evening that we eventually went in and because I'd had the kind of blood in my waters they kept me in then 
even though I wasn't really contracting and it was about it was actually the eve of my sister's 30th birthday and she was having a party that night and I really wanted to go and throughout the day I'd kind of said to Rich I'm just going to jump on the train I'll be fine you know (laughs) I went you know the baby won't come or whatever anyway obviously that didn't happen so I was on the phone to them at 11 o'clock and then suddenly the contraction started and from that point I don't remember anything not one thing until six o'clock in the morning the next day the next day I had constant contractions so I didn't have any break in my contractions oh I don't know what that's called it is called something but I googled it and I've asked people and I can't get to the bottom of what that is actually called sure I automatically curled up in a fetal position on the bed because it was so painful and there was no gap Mm. and my I think my body just went into shock and, and just that was it and so I had the TENS machine on okay which Rick, my husband was working and he was feeding me fluids yep and it was very strange because he was kind of saying to the midwife you know oh it doesn't this doesn't feel right there's something strange you know uh, you know can you give her anything like but they couldn't I think okay. because of the bloods in the waters and they didn't want to be in place there was something yeah. else but but then they just let me do that apparently I was making very animal noises like um, that instinctive bearing down yes that okay I, I, I don't think I was pushed but I was just just apparently like a cow mooing okay yeah really loudly yep and also the next memory I have is being rushed down a corridor in a wheelchair to the delivery suite and then trying to push so on my back in the classic on my back legs legs and stirrups all the things that they teach you in antenatal classes not to do like to be active on all fours and whatnot yeah okay exactly none of that happened and I was trying to push and I remember I was exhausted of course and I remember the midwife going well you you know you really need to make some more effort and I just crying I was like I can't I can't do it I can't do it eventually I think my blood pressure started to go up so then all of a sudden there's eight people in the room going no we've got to do this now and I was cut and they pulled him out with Vontuse and my husband said it was like a plug on the end of a chain like a really hefty chain and the the consultant she she had a foot on the bed and was like leaning into it and like really giving it all of her might to pull Jonah out. So for those um, who can't see, it's like a yanking action, right? Yeah. Like if she's got her foot on the bed, that yeah. has to tell us that there's a lot of force in a, a that huge movement. Huge amount of force. Yeah. Right. Okay. A huge amount of force. He he came out. He was fine, thankfully. Um, mm, of course. But I was bleeding everywhere. And they couldn't stop the bleeding. And I remember her saying, I can't see where to stitch. There's too much blood. Something along those lines. Wow. And you could kind of hear it splashing. It's your You're so out of it. Yes. It's just, oh, that's happening. To, oh, is that me? Oh, it just really not kind of clicking. Poor Rich is like, I don't know what to do. I've could he my see baby it? over there. Yeah. Yeah, because it was it was kind of very cr- crazy because they were really rushing. Yeah, and they gave me some you know injection in my leg to kind of stop the bleeding. Eventually, they stopped it, but then I had to have a blood transfusion because okay, I lost too much blood. Yes, 
Okay. I, I was lucky that actually they did put Jonah on me and he fed straight away, which was really lovely. Yeah, because um, you could focus on that part, right? Exactly. And I had absolutely no idea what was going on down the bottom. Okay. Sure. I had absolutely no idea. And obviously then you have to deliver the placenta as well, which is also horrible. And no one tells you that that's also very painful. Exactly. I don't know why that, they don't tell you that. Or even that it has to come out. <laughs> I, I don't think it's even talked about that it has to come out. People just think, oh, it stays in there for the next baby or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, it hadn't occurred to me, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. So, but that was all going on. And then, and obviously I was very tired, but I couldn't have any food or drink because they thought I might have to go into theatre. Okay. So just absolutely sapped of energy. Rich has got Jonah and then... I suddenly start having diarrhea because the shot that they'd given me to bring my blood pressure down causes diarrhea. And so I'm lying on a bed completely covered in blood, covered in poo and distraught, just kind of I'm kind of coming around a little bit in yeah. shock. And yeah. I was kind of saying to the midwife, oh, can you know, can you clean me up? Like, you know, I'm a bit of a mess. And she was like, oh, you're going to probably happen again. So we'll leave oh. it. And, and I was just... Uh, this is not how I pictured my birth. <laughs> the music and the candles and the photo frames and, and what everyone promised me. Yeah. And then I think I I got a bit cross and I said, no, I want to get clean. I, I need the toilet. I'm going to the toilet. I got out of bed with my like blood transfusion on the thing. Yeah. On the kind of, what's it called? The trolley yeah. where the bang yeah. hangs on the, the yes. thing and um, walked to the toilet, but then just had an accident all over the floor and all over the and I was just it was awful mm. and Rich bless him had to clear everything up and eventually they came and tidied me up and and I and I think it was like an hour later and I said I think can I get anything this diarrhea keep going on and they went oh yeah we'll just give you some like emodium just like, why did nobody just why did no one do that I can see that this is you know years on still really impactful I'd mm. like to offer you did you want to take a break no I'm fine you sure yeah mm -hmm. I just I want to check in with you because when you're reliving this and you tell it and I know you've told your story before but I don't feel like it ever goes away the emotion no. so at any time please just say thank Let's you take a break we can we can for sure and I think anyone listening as well is exactly the same I think let's not stop women from being able to talk but yeah when anyone needs a break then take it and then come yeah. back or leave it for another time do you know what I mean yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely. so once they had helped you and you got mm -hmm. to a certain point what happened next they'd obviously sewn me up and I'd had the hemorrhage um, the blood transfusion yeah. and Jonah was great he was feeding obviously then he had to stay in hospital I had to stay in hospital because of everything yeah. that has happened and then you're left with your baby, aren't you, overnight, which is also really difficult because you don't get any sleep because mm -hmm. you're feeding your baby. You don't quite know how to do that. And then you're in a lot of pain because you've had a lot of things going on. And I thought they'd left something in me, which was obviously the, the swab, the, the gauze. But maybe they did explain that to me, but I hadn't taken it in. I kept saying, you've left something. I think they've left something in there. You've left something in there. They got quite cross with me. And I was like, but anyway, I was a bit confused and. Well, um, you've been through a lot, you know. Yeah. Mm. And I don't, but I think you don't realize you don't want to make a fuss. 
and you think, oh, this must be kind of quite normal. And it wasn't really until I re retold the story to some of my antenatal group and like my sisters. One of my sisters was like, oh my God, Tor, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's awful. Yes. I was like, is it? Oh, I, I kind of hadn't really thought. But anyway, I, I went home like the day afterwards. Yes. Um, After something and... that major and a blood transfusion, mind you. <laughs> and, and as it, you know, and a kind of episiotomy that as it transpires probably was more than like, possibly when it like caused the, some sphincter damage yes. at the time. But, but I actually didn't know I'd had an episiotomy until I asked my consultant to read the notes when I'd gone in with the prolapse. I actually had, I didn't really know, hmm. which I find very mind boggling. That Yeah. So they put you into the ward overnight with this brand new baby mm -hmm. and no one, I'm guessing, okay, because I'm just pretty much our stories are so identical. They just came in and said, congratulations, your baby's beautiful. Well done, mama. And then we'll see you later. Good luck. Right. Yeah. No one yeah. actually said to you that you had an episiotomy why you needed a blood transfusion because that's we've never seen that in the movies and then you're left to go home and then talk to your sister who says and my sister did the exact same thing it's not normal I've had two babies <laughs> and my mum and I, I actually fought with them I said yes it is my midwife said it's it's common <laughs> and I believed her bonkers absolutely bonkers looking back now yes because as a new first time mum there is no way you can know any different no. no, and you don't way. get told about it. No. So let's go back. I know you just mentioned the word prolapse and a lot of our community in this space would know what a pelvic organ prolapse is. How long was it after the birth of your child? Did you then discover prolapse and how did you discover it? So it was fairly soon afterwards, probably four weeks okay. to six weeks, something around there. I was in the shower and I was kind of I'd avoided touching my vagina or my vulva or anything because it, I, I'd, I was scared. To be honest, I'd not looked at it before. It's our generation it, tool. I just hadn't. Mm. And so I kind of gingerly started to kind of feel it. And there was a bulge in the mouth of the vagina. It wasn't quite coming out, but it was very, very close to the entrance. Yeah. And I just, and I cried. And I, to myself in the shower, and I, I thought I'm, I've broken, I, there's something wrong, but I thought it was abnormal. I was scared to tell anyone because I didn't know what it was. And I don't think I told my husband for a good few days. Okay. So just held it in by yourself yeah. with the new baby. Yeah. I just pretended it hadn't, just pretended I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Had you yeah. heard the word prolapse before? Do you know, my mum had actually had a prolapse. I was vaguely aware of her having had some surgery, but I didn't really take in what it was. Mm. So I had heard of it yeah. and I thought it was, everything was falling out that to be honest. Yeah. That's what I thought it was, yeah. which is probably why I didn't want to acknowledge anything. That's right. And I think probably too, with your mum's generation, like mine and my nan, they weren't allowed to talk about it at all. Oh No, it was just women's secret women's business. It's part of childbirth. Be done with it. Mm -hmm. And we are only just starting to be able to talk about it who did you tell first so I told my husband 
Yeah, after a few days. Okay. After a few days. I didn't tell my sisters or my parents. Okay. I think I probably told my antenatal friends. They were the next people after Rich because we were so in it together. We were oh, all yeah. having our children at the same time. That was my support network, my really tight support network at that time. So connected. Um, did they have yeah. any, did they experience anything like that? I think one or two of them had, but not prolapse, but but yeah. had some complications, but not to the extent not to that extent yeah okay did you have to go and see like a general practitioner uh, you know or a women's health physiotherapist to be diagnosed I actually didn't go to the doctor because my dad died three months after Jonah was born and in that time between having had Jonah and dad dying we were taking interns to drive down he lived like three hours from where we were Okay. To like nurse him and look after him. And so I would go down for two or three days a week with Jonah in the car and mm-hmm. nurse dad and mum couldn't cope. So kind of have a baby monitor for Jonah and a baby monitor for dad yes. in the nighttime. Wow. I just wasn't a priority. That's huge. That's a lot. All at once, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. of course your yourself and your body, because I think a lot of women with prolapse do push on beyond mm-hmm. the point because they're caring for so many others. And isn't it yeah. something like women on average wait seven years before seven even years. being assessed because they're caring for young children and parents yeah. and, and partners. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Really, really interesting. And it wasn't until... So Jonah was born in the February, dad died in the May, and it was this September that I was really, really lethargic, very tired. And that's the reason I went to the doctor, not the prolapse. Oh, right. And then I think I just mentioned at the end of the appointment. So it turns out I had an overactive thyroid just with, you know, pregnancy, just knocked it up. I just only had a couple of months of medication in it and it righted itself. But that was the only reason I really went to the doctor was more for those symptoms than the prolapse. And then I I kind of mentioned the prolapse and got referred to women's health physio and a gynecologist actually. What did they say? Like what type of prolapse and what grade did they diagnose you with? And then any potential ways of treating it? The first gynecologist I saw, Mm -hmm. she was a very, this is really normal. All women have it. You've had a baby, what do you expect? That line. Um, I, because it was just inside the mouth of my vagina, I think it was like a, a grade two, three. Mm-hmm. I never actually got a grade at yeah. that point. Yeah. But I was obviously quite young and quite fit at that time. I So I went to the women's health physio. I was a bit in a bit of a daze anyway. So I just kind of was going through the motions. I remember her talking about, you know, what you should eat and what you should drink and, you know, avoid caffeine and alcohol. I remember her trying to teach me how to squeeze my pelvic floor she gave me a machine that you put the probe in uh, it's called a neurotrack the machine that I had looks a bit Um, like a vibrator right but it's much smaller yeah exactly to get the visual yes so it goes into the vagina and then you have the programs on the machine and it sends in electric signals to try and stimulate your muscles and so I thought great this machine is going to fix me yeah be fine and when I'd gone to see the gynecologist she put a pessary in the ring pessary and I, I literally walked out of her office I was about two meters away from her door and it just pinged straight out so I walked back in and then she put a bigger the biggest one and this is why I think I 
thought I was a lost cause because she put the biggest possible ring pessary in and I walked and it just came straight out again so yeah I just thought well that's not going to work I can't keep it in it's funny isn't it that they have that as the first stopgap solution but they I don't know if this happened to you but generally speaking here when I went to try mine no one ever says this is a trial and error so we might have to try seven different sizes five different types at different Mm -hmm. times of your period cycle to see if we can find the one that might fit Mm -hmm. so every time you walk out and it flips out into your underpants you get so despondent you're like well that's failed And, and and I think too I don't know if you feel the same way please let me know if I'm wrong but you feel like they make it sound really easy I'm just gonna pop a pessary in there and yeah. off you go but it actually is really it's really hard it's uncomfortable and your whole body tenses because something foreign is going inside your mind's thinking is this going to cause damage is it mm-hmm. going to be make it worse am I getting it in the right place am I getting going to get an infection from it am I going to get thrush all of those things are happening at the same time as well as you go home and do it and as well as a newborn baby on the floor crying and eating you and you're like quick it's it's not easy it's not, it's not easy, easy. <laughs> and then are you thinking about sex and you're thinking am I ever going to be attractive or I you know mm-hmm. you couldn't feel less sexy yes putting something inside your vagina and less human I feel like I became yeah. quite numb as yeah. a person so when you are numb with your physical self trying to connect to have sex with your partner and have that level of intimacy there's a huge blocker there it's it's huge I read something that a woman's libido is this is about 80 percent is mental for women I can believe it's a huge mental piece for women much much more so than for a man although there has to be some physical stimulation if the mental connection or feeling isn't there it's just not gonna not gonna work which and I yeah, absolutely believe that. I'll second that. Mm. I don't even need to read this study. I just will yeah. say anecdotally, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you had, you've gone to the women's health physio and you've got a prolapse. And mind you too, it, it doesn't really matter what stage you get diagnosed with. I think I've had four different diagnoses, anywhere ranging from a two to very close to a four. Mm-hmm. being assessed standing up laying down mm-hmm. is different different yeah. times if your period's different and it wasn't until I had a full assessment which included urodynamics testing mm-hmm. very methodical measuring with like a probe with biofeedback so you look at the screen yeah. and you can see and I think that went for about two hours when I was handed down you have a three compartment like a bladder uterus and vaginal wall prolapse with there's always a little side extra of (laughs) (laughs) a side dish of bilateral avulsion so the muscles were torn off the bone so that's why the pessary won't stay in so I was kind of glad that I'm like right so I'm just not failing pessary as well (laughs) it's the fact that yeah the muscles there's no shelf for it to sit in even a cube with suction even a, a donut was probably the one that was okay by getting them in and out like you're putting something really small into an opening then it then opens up to this like big abyss someone called it an abyss one of my physio people said it's like the abyss in there 
like, oh what, is that? what does that well, mean? That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and Thanks so, yeah, <laughs> that's what we've got to, to live with. And I think mm-hmm. it's great that we can talk openly. There's so much that happens in between and it's really hard to kind of get, I mean, how old is your baby now? He's not a baby anymore. He was about, yeah, he was kind of one-ish at okay. that time then. And how old is he now? Nine. Right. On Wednesday. Oh, simplest. Happy birthday for Wednesday. <laughs> and I think all of those years in between, there's a lot that happened. So maybe take us to the next kind of big thing that happened for you with his sure. relapse. Yeah. So I had another baby. After the women's health video, I did it, it did improve. Okay. And so I had another baby fairly quickly. So Eve was born 22 months after Jonah. Yes. She was very small and came out really, really quickly. They were like, great, one stitch, absolutely fine, lovely. And it was a really nice birth. So I was like, great, lovely, no more damage, wonderful. It hadn't really occurred to me. A lot of, a lot of ladies ask me, weren't you petrified of getting pregnant again? Yeah. And to be honest with you, I just didn't think about it. Okay. I just put my head down and plowed on and pretended sure. it hadn't happened. Like you had managed all that years before like all yeah. that time before that's how you coped yeah so that makes yeah, sense exactly and then my hormones started to get a bit funny again not the thyroid but I started to get really really down very very big swings of mood had went on antidepressants um didn't like that made me feel even more hazy I kind of felt like I was living outside my body a lot of the time right but I think because of what the gynecologist had told me, I didn't really ask to seek any more help. Okay. I just thought that's this it. This is just having a newborn baby. You're just sleep yeah. deprived. You, you'll get better. You just yeah. get through this bit. And I could probably but, do the exercises again and it will be okay. Yes. Yeah. I also stupidly started running when you have your six week check and the GP says you can do it. And I thought I'm going to do it because that's the way that I saw stuff out of my head. At the time, it was following doctor's orders and given yes. the, the all clear and, you know, you're good to go. So then we moved house and I thought, no, I need to mentally, I didn't like the antidepressants. I came off them and I thought, OK, maybe my low moods is kind of because of my prolapse, which the symptoms have come back again. OK. And so I thought, I'm, right, I'm going to go and talk to somebody. I'm going to get this sorted out. I need to take some action now. And I I'm ashamed to say at that time I was like, right, surgery, surgery will fix everything. I'll just have the surgery, they'll put it back up and they will just stay there and it's absolutely fine. The first person misdiagnosed the prolapse said it was a a posterior, whereas actually it was an anterior. Okay. So that was the third gynecologist. Yeah, see what I mean? How confusing. And for those who are listening, don't know posterior and anterior because we don't always know all the anatomy. Just explain that very quickly for us. Posterior is a rectocele, so at the yep. back, the yep. back wall of the vagina is, is falling in because the bowel's pushing on it, or and the anterior is the front wall of the vagina with the bladder pushing on it. So it was an anterior, it was my bladder pushing down. And to be honest, I, I, I was getting some symptoms with not being able to kind of wee as properly, wasn't able to empty, yeah. I couldn't, it like was a dribble when I was really urgent. It, you know, it, it was pressing, the bladder was pushing down on the urethra and blocking that. A kink exactly yeah. causing a kink I had surgery I had the prolapse repair front prolapse repair where they cut the front wall of your vagina and they put the bladder back into place they take out the slack piece of muscle of your vagina wall and then they sew you up mm-hmm. all sounded very lovely I had a lovely surgeon and for the next six months it was really lovely really good 
amazing didn't have any symptoms okay. I was doing my pelvic floor exercises and felt brilliant I feel like there's a butt coming there's a big butt coming in two th- in about 2070s about a year later I started to experience fecal incontinence when I was running I could feel things shifting so when I sat down I could feel all of my inter- like organs my pelvic floor organs move around I was yeah. very very aware of space in there that, that, that you know I felt like it shouldn't actually be moving that much shouldn't and I was, I had the bulge back in my vagina, but I was still running. I was pushing on through. Yep. But so I started to get fecal incontinence about 20 minutes into a run. I would just suddenly not be able to hold anything in. Like, I, I mean, not that there wasn't even any, a minute kind of that I could hold it, nothing. So I used to have to go in a field, but I would still run. I'd cry. Hmm. I'd cry as I was running along and I would kind of be like no you're not letting this beat you you know I, I was quite strict with myself or okay you were just mean coping. to myself you were just yeah coping, honey I guess so and so I then I went on antidepressants again I was struggling then again my hormones were being funny and the the kind of brain fog was coming in and the lethargy was coming and I'm a events manager and it can be quite full on so I remember I was on site once in London for a week for an an event and don't get a great deal of sleep and it's quite pressurized I had like a panic attack yeah okay I'd never had that before but I it it was almost like I just it felt so out of body and I I got home to Rich and I said and I'd had a couple of I'd had a fecal incontinence episode when I wasn't running so to me that was like the next step like okay it's getting worse everything okay. so everything is now falling out I'm I now can't control myself I perhaps I need to see someone because in my head everything was giving up and I would eventually just lose everything lose control of everything yeah and that's um, that's actually makes sense to have that thought pattern and that's what I thought mm. and so I told my husband when I got home and he came to the doctors with me and I just Good. said so my doctor everything and was obviously crying quite a lot and and it was a huge release like yeah the dams opened and it all came out and he was like right okay so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna refer you here and here and here and we're very lucky to have Birmingham Women's Hospital quite close okay obviously they you know it's a women's hospital so luckily the wait lists weren't too long so I saw a lady gynecologist another lady gynecologist so what's that fourth fourth or the fifth gynecologist I got referred to women's health again women's health physio to really try and strengthen what the pelvic floor that I had Mm -hmm. what was left I went to had an anal kind of I I can't I never remember the word of this manometry it's basically where they put a probe in your in your anus and do all sorts of tests to see what's causing it happening what's yeah. happening and a rectal scan wow which is very horrible and my husband came with me and I cried you know mm. as you would because it's quite demoralizing and humiliating 100% and they found that I had a rectoanal inhibitory reflex was impaired so you couldn't coil and hold on like exactly muscle. okay exactly so when the external sphincter opened I, I couldn't control that so when the in sorry the internal one opens you should be able to hold your external one to hold in until you can actually go but I didn't have that in some situations so you have to kind of cough and you have to bear down and and they test it in all of these different scenarios so I was quite relieved that they found something physical and they said 
it just you just need to we'll have some biofeedback and Mm -hmm. it will you know we'll strengthen that we'll focus on that because obviously a lot of my physio had been focused on the front the vaginal because it was the bladder but this was at the back then I had I was using an anal probe with this machine and imagine what that so that was regularly like did you have to do that every night like the vaginal one yes wow okay um and it's awful and I think I probably did it for a couple of weeks and I and I just didn't feel any any benefits I didn't feel it was doing anything but in the meantime I'd also been referred to um for surgery for a hysterectomy because they found that my uterus had dropped so I'd gone back to having uh like a grade three slash four bladder prolapse and uterine prolapse with the complications from the back passage as well yes yeah that's heavy that's really heavy hey all while you've got to be a mum yes wife sister wife daughter yeah yeah wow and a freelance events manager trying to oh yeah a career woman of course run some some events okay and also I think as lots of mums do I was also trying to get involved in nursery Mm -hmm. and you know volunteer here and be social be that you know yes yes so much and so I then had my hysterectomy a total hysterectomy in March 2020 just before lockdown that's when I started my Instagram and Facebook page yes I was about to say I think that's when Mm. I found you and followed you because I'm constantly searching for other people who are doing similar things in this space because I think alone Mm -hmm. you can only do so much like you know to to re-quote Helen Keller but then to get together we can achieve so much more and so this yes. is why I think I came across your page, the Prolapse Parenthood and Prosecco. Mm-hmm. And I loved your cheekiness because <laughs> I thought Prosecco, I can, I can, you know, align with parenthood, prolapse, oh, and Prosecco. Like it was just something, <laughs> a little, yeah, just something a little bit different. Before we get to talk about that, I just want to acknowledge something right here. What you have been through is unbelievably phenomenal. So to take that strength and then... Let's talk about that. Let's talk about this prolapse parenthood and Prosecco page because you would know how many women you have had an amazing impact, including this little one Aww. who had that that one line. All I did was have a baby. It just struck such a chord. Like how powerful a message is that? So for you to be able to take this adversity and now do this is amazing. I don't know if anyone's told you that. People have said that and I find it quite uncomfortable. I don't really know what to do with it because I feel actually quite self-indulgent that I'm talking about myself all the time. That kind of is weird to me. Okay. Um, but recently someone said that's that's kind of reword that to self-compassion because it no doubt helps me to process what I've gone through to talk about it. So actually it's really helpful to me. We have these images of, you know, prolapse being for old, older women, if you even knew about it at all. But, yeah, you know, no one sees like f- women that, that go out and want to have a good time and drink Prosecco. And, you know, w- are actually there people in their own right. No one kind of puts those two together. And it can be embarrassing to talk about it. No one wants to talk about their vagina falling out. And, you know, I, f- I think when everything kind of came to a head at that point, yeah. The reason I started the page was I'd started to learn some things and I, and I wanted to learn more. 
Mm-hmm. And I got quite a thirst for, I started to follow lots of really interesting people on Instagram. I, I find Instagram a little bit more positive than Facebook. I don't, I don't like forums. I find them quite yeah. negative. They can be quite uh, heavy and deep. Yeah. Yeah. And I also find that I don't like to moan about something and not okay. try to do something about it. Sure. I under, I get so, that. Although there are times absolutely when I think this is really unfair and I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Why has this happened to me? It's like, well, this has happened to me. And actually I'm meeting all of these amazing people in this amazing community. Same journey. Yeah, it's, in, it's incredible. And the strength of some of those women, but also there's so much like information and actually learning about how a female's body works and how amazing we are and what we've actually done yeah. is yeah okay we might be a bit broken after it but we we need to be proud yeah and and we need to acknowledge that that and we're proud and we're strong I feel kind of almost privileged to be able to be a part of this club whatever you want to call it this community <laughs> yeah I think so. this motherhood like it is such a community isn't it I, I actually read someone else's post the other day and I asked if I could use it and she said yeah it's not mine go for it that we we wear our injuries on the inside every day, but on the mm-hmm. outside, it's hard to move away from trauma when you, you literally have it on. You put it on every day because it doesn't go away. And I think having women, in, like you said, positively in this space, because even though my prolapse is still here and it's not fixed and there's no pestering, there's no surgery available for me currently here in Australia, it doesn't mean I'm not healing other parts of my body, soul, emotion, mental health to try and live the best life I can because this is it. I've got this one and that's it. A hundred percent. But look, I mean, right back at you, look at what you're doing. This is, <laughs> you know, incredible amount of your time and your efforts to just get a message to cross and to raise awareness of mm. all of these things that frankly we should know before. And, and I'm hoping we'll get to the point where women are educated better antenatally. Yes. Not in a scaremongering way, but just in a preparation way and in, in, a, in knowing how your physiology worked. I did not know what my pelvic floor was. I had no idea. Yeah. Now I do, just to finish up, I do want to talk about how we can make this better for our girls. Because you and me, Mama, we've got a legacy that we're going mm. to pass on to our girls and our sons, mind you, because I think our our partners, our sons, our brothers are just as important as our daughters. It's a whole Absolutely. community thing because as your husband would attest to, he supports you and he's learned so much. He's needed to learn mm-hmm. more about female anatomy. And now I do all of this for my girl, Elsie, and your girl so that they don't have to go through what we did. However, do you find that you come across, you get kind of stonewalled sometimes because there is let's just say (laughs) a thought that you can't scare women about things that happen in childbirth particularly birth trauma 100% and I hope my reply now is now that I've grown with a little bit more maturity and I have a little bit more faith in what I'm saying is that I don't want to scare them either I don't want to scare pregnant women my god it's too late then However, we do need to be educating our girls younger, I'm talking before they're pregnant, mm-hmm. about their pelvic floor, about mm-hmm. their anatomy, about how it works for you, so that when they're going into these antenatal classes, they can actually visualize, oh, that's what that means. 
Yes. When she says that, oh, okay, I understand what that means. Rather than you just nod and smile, you're like, okay, what what's the baby's name? Like that's all you <laughs> when you're pregnant, you're like, I'm gonna buy that outfit from H and M, and that's all you're thinking about, rightly so. Or yeah. for me, it was like I was scared I was gonna miscarry every day. So my thoughts yeah. were not about labor. It was just pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So if we are educating much younger, however, it's not the women we want to scare. Let's make that clear, right? It's the people in charge of caring for us, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, this is something that I have obviously learned from my eighth gynecologist. Yeah. Suddenly said to me, I was like, why isn't, so after my hysterectomy, in in kind of May of last year everything just continued to kind of come down and and so I saw someone a different gynecologist and I said why is everything is just coming down I'm doing my exercises I'm doing everything I can why is this happening and because I think I've become perimenopausal my muscle elasticity had was diminishing Mm. so and and it kind of transpired that I had this anal injury from from the episiotomy yeah and in 2008 in the UK they changed the sutures that were used in stitching up an episiotomy into stitches that were dissolved within 10 days as opposed to stitches that dissolve in three or four months previously wow so he, he said when he he could and he made this diagnosis on me he just he laid me down and said right I'll examine you he could see physically see we didn't have to put his fingers in me or touch or look at he could see the, the amount of space at the back of my vagina there was just this massive space because my vagina was kind of tear drop shaped okay it, because the stitches hadn't held and as my hormones my estrogen was declining and my muscles were getting laxer it was just kind of opening up it was just kind of stretching out there was no structural integrity to, to my pelvic floor to hold anything in so wow. it was always going to come down and he said to me think of a trampoline if all the springs are your pelvic floor mm-hmm. you can strengthen that all yeah and that's brilliant and you do need to do that but if there's a damage to the canvas in the middle it's not ever going to work yeah not everyone wants surgery and I do understand that but I, it, I was shocked it was it's taken eight gynecologists and I and I appreciate that probably the, the problem wasn't quite as apparent early on as it was towards, it progressed yeah it, it progressed I do get that but he said after my surgery this time, when I had, I had another front, front prolapse repair and a perineal reconstruction, mm-hmm. he said he, there was just a triangle of scar tissue where my perineum should have been. Okay. So he basically took it all out and restitched it up with buttress stitches, with stitches that would not budge for kind of five, six months. Okay. And it is the weirdest sensation. <laughs> but Can you feel it now? Yes. Okay. Is it holding? Are yes. you happy to share that? Okay. Yeah. And you, yeah, how- no, it's it's completely holding and it's it's quite hard okay. because it's there's still the stitches are really quite strong in there. Yeah. I f- feel like every time when I need the toilet, when I need a poo, I can feel it because it, it's kind of resting on it and it never did that. So that's a weird sensation. Okay. I'm very aware of that. Yes. Um, but also my vagina is smaller. The opening to my vagina is smaller which would that's change weird everything yeah that's yeah. weird it's just a very very strange it's like uh, physiologically I'm completely different 
well you you are I am yeah you <laughs> it's really just are. the strangest sensation wow and you know when you're trying to find the words to describe prolapse to people and I'm mm-hmm. searching on all my intellect words I'm like you can't really describe what it feels like I've tried the heaviness the bulge the this the lower back pain the nerve pain that you can feel your poo in your vagina mm-hmm. like and still people look at you blankly so even if even women who have had a stage one prolapse still themselves can't get it because they don't feel what we feel and what we go through which is one of the biggest hurdles mentally because in our community I talk to women say yeah but my doctor said it's a stage two and it's not that bad but internally I feel broken because everybody's we're all different so a lady that has a stage one would it troubles her all the time I've heard this on some of your guests on your podcast have said the same but you know and a grade four sometimes doesn't bother it's completely different I don't know about you I used to when I used to cough or sneeze my bulge would come out of my vagina like a balloon I call it turtle head yes it's the most yeah disconcerting thing and I would be like no come on clench your pelvic floor and try and it just wouldn't like do anything do you know how I get around that here's a tip for anyone because it still happens you sit you sit on the edge of your lounge you know the armrest Mm -hmm. where it kind of sits up in and the, the bouncing doesn't allow it to come out the opening. It just goes to the opening. So yeah. if, if you ever see me sitting on the side Good of a tip. lounge, I'm, I'm not resting. I'm trying to cough. <laughs> 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 and I know we, can, uh, we have to laugh talk. We have to laugh. If we don't, it. we cry all the time. And that happens too. Like I'm not pretending it yeah. doesn't affect me. It absolutely does. There are some nights at 7.30 and I'm crying in my bed because my kids are saying, please, can you come read a book to me or something? And I'm like, oh, uh, I'm in so much pain. I'm like, my, my whole back end, my whole ass end, I call it, is throbbing, just poof, poof. Yeah. And my husband has to take over. But there's other days, and this is the hard thing because it's also very unpredictable. It has a mind of its own, mm-hmm. depending on your cycle and your yep. hormones and then what you've done that day. If you Like yesterday, we went to see our neighbor who just got home from hospital and I walked over to their place. It's four houses away and mm-hmm. I walked back and then I forgot something. So I had to walk back and back. And by the time I got back, I was throbbing and in pain and I had to sit and I'm like, this sucks. I, yeah. hate, I hate this. But within two minutes, I had to pull myself back out because we had our kids and the neighbors all over. I'm like, okay, let's open up the dip. Yay. <laughs> Or that Prosecco is what you need to say. <laughs> totally. Now, listen, I we have touched on it. I feel like we could talk for days. I know. I, I really like do. The surface. So will you come back for a second sure. show, please? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot there, but I feel like we've got so much more to cover you and I. Mm. More so also about how we can make it better for our listeners and our community and our girls I think because I know for you, thank you so much for staying up. It's probably almost midnight where you are. So I can't (laughs) tell you how much I appreciate you. Everything you're doing, you're amazing. Let's get together again, hey? I would so love that. Thank you. All right, everyone, you must come back and stay tuned for part two. I hope after today's episode, you are able to get some solace in hearing someone else's story, which I know can be quite weird to say something like that when you're listening to someone else's trauma and experience living with prolapse. 
you can feel somewhat reassured that you're not alone because gosh I wish we didn't even have to have conversations like this and I guess that's the whole reason of this podcast is so that we can continually chip away and work at a system that feels very broken so that our daughters don't have to go through what we did. I mean, my goodness, technology, modern medicine, we hear all of those things coming along around the globe, but yet we're still sitting down with amazing women like Tor and having to have conversations about having our physical self, our emotional self, our whole self just disappear, as she said. And all she did was have a baby. So like everything that we talk about, and we did talk about this in the trailer, anything that comes up for you during these episodes, please reach out to your trusted circle or your medical health professionals if you are struggling with anything that came up today. It doesn't necessarily have to be a trigger warning for trauma itself because then I feel like we're excluding a whole lot of other women who might be thinking something else. Like something, you just never know. It's funny, isn't it? Like you can talk about your story and your journey and then you'll see one commercial on the TV about something else and all of a sudden the tears and the heartache come flooding through. And so that's why we don't put specific warnings on specific episodes, but just say all of our episodes If there is something that comes up for you and you're feeling like you need some support, in Australia, there is Lifeline, there is Panda, there are free numbers that you can call. If you don't know where to start, just calling and making an appointment with your general practitioner or your preferred medical health provider to say, hey, I'm not okay. I encourage you to not be alone in this journey. And if you haven't already, you are also welcome to come and join our free Facebook group because living with pelvic organ prolapse on a daily basis and living with something that is invisible, some would class it as an invisible disability because it has disabled them from living the life they had before children or before prolapse. That space is a safe space for women to get tips and tricks, to vent their frustrations, to also share their wins because even living with prolapse, you can still have so much joy in your life. It might be hard to hear that if you're just starting your journey, but you really can and you deserve that. We've also shared all of these tips and tricks that we've gathered from around the women around the globe over the last three years in a new publication coming out. It's called Tips and Tricks for Women Living with Pelvic Organ Prolapse. Pretty simple basic title, but it just shares all of the things on a daily basis that you can do in your life right now to help you on this journey. I think by the time this episode is out, the book should almost, if not around the same time, be released. And if it hasn't, you can always reach out via Instagram at Brave Mama, or you can email us at contact at bravemama.com for more information. So until next time, bye for now. Brave Mama.